welcome to another edition of the UK Law Weekly Podcast with me, your host, Marcus Cleaver. This week we are going to be looking at the case of the Secretary of State for Transport and Curzon Park Limited. The citation for this case is 2023 UKSC 30. Before we get started this week, I would like to take a moment to shout out another person who has been kind enough to leave a review of the podcast on iTunes. Tenny457 says that UK Law Weekly is the perfect bite-sized knowledge you need to understand the law. Thank you so much for those kind words, and hope that stays true for many years to come. Remember that if you would like to support the podcast, then leaving a review on the platform where you listen is a great way to show new listeners that these episodes are worth a listen. Plus, if that review is on iTunes, then I uh, will be sure to read it out and make sure to thank you personally. Anyway, on with today's case, and it is all about the compulsory purchase of land in the context of the HS2 train line. This area of the law is not especially well known, but we can spend a couple of minutes now going over the basics. Essentially, if the government or other public authority chooses to compulsorily purchase your land off you, then you are entitled to compensation under the 1961 Land Compensation Act. The basic level of compensation is how much a willing seller of the land would get if they were selling it on the open market. However, a landowner is also entitled to compensation for an enhanced value of the land resulting from actual or prospective planning permission for its development. In fact, under Section 14, account can be taken of planning permission in force at the relevant valuation date, the prospect of planning permission being granted at a later date, and, quote, appropriate alternative development, end quote, of the land. It is that last one we are going to be focusing on today. A development is an appropriate alternative development if, based on given assumptions, on the relevant valuation date, planning permission for the development could reasonably have been expected to be granted on an application decided on that date or some time afterwards. In order to decide this, a landowner can apply to the local planning authority for a Certificate of Appropriate Alternative Development under Section 14 of the Act. The question in this case is all about these certificates, and in particular whether the decision maker can actually take into account other certificate applications or decisions that relate to the development of other land. Anyway, as I said at the start of this episode, the context for all of this is HS2, and more specifically for neighbouring sites which were compulsorily acquired by the Secretary of State for Transport in 2018 in order to construct the station. Each of the four landowners applied for a Certificate of Appropriate Alternative Development, and they were all granted. It was Birmingham City Council who considered the application, and they approached the question by considering each of the four applications in isolation, and rejected the submission by the Secretary of State that the cumulative impact of all the applications should be considered. The Minister also lost in the Upper Tribunal before the case was appealed to the Court of Appeal. Here the landowners argued that Section 14 requires the decision-maker to assume that the scheme of development has been cancelled on the launch date, and from this cancellation assumption It follows that no application for a certificate could be made per Section 17 in the counterfactual scenario posited by the statute. Now this is quite a complicated interpretation of the statute, 
But what it means in practical terms is that this cancellation assumption means the decision maker should disregard other applications or decisions in respect of other sites. That argument was accepted by the Court of Appeal, and so the Secretary of State appealed to the Supreme Court, which is where we pick things up. The justices came to a decision in this case by going through a number of questions, and we will follow their train of thought along with them. In the first place, they asked whether the statutory assumption that the scheme of development has been cancelled on the launch date precludes the decision maker from taking account of other certificates of appropriate alternative development applications and decisions. They decided that these other applications and decisions could be taken into account as the question for the decision maker is whether planning permission could reasonably be expected to be granted on the valuation date. There are some statutory assumptions under section 14, but generally it is just about considering the market circumstances on that date, and there are no specific rules around the evidence that can and cannot be used in that regard. Indeed, the Supreme Court noted that it would be odd for a decision maker to have to try and construct the counterfactual scenario where the scheme is cancelled without being able to take into account evidence in the real world that would provide meaningful assistance. Looking at other sites or proposals would help to perhaps identify cheaper alternatives, examine what would be in the public interest, and whether a development would be incompatible with planning permission available for neighbouring plots. Ignoring such useful evidence would require clear statutory language, and that is simply not the case here. The next question to answer was how exactly the counterfactual cancelled scheme scenario should be constructed at the time of the valuation date. Here, section 14 gives us a clue by saying that it is not legitimate to consider whether planning permission to develop either the land in question or other land might have been granted between the deemed cancellation on the launch date and the valuation date. This is because the decision involves considering the prospect of planning permission on the valuation date alone, and so the period between a posited cancellation of the scheme and the valuation date does not come into play. Section 14 is drafted in a way to try and provide as much certainty and objectivity as possible. Broadening out the assessment in this way would detract from that aim. The next question was whether the Certificate of Appropriate Alternative Development Applications and Decisions are distinct from grants of planning permission. Here the Supreme Court agreed with the lower courts that the two are different. After all, certificates of appropriate alternative development are really just a mechanism to assist with the counterfactual cancelled scheme scenario for the purpose of determining compensation. These certificates are not officially planning considerations and do not have any role in terms of actual planning. This means that the granting of a certificate does not have any effect of meeting any sort of planning need in the counterfactual scheme scenario. Following on from this, the question was then asked about whether account can be taken of evidential material contained in a certificate of appropriate alternative development application. Here, the answer was yes. And in fact, the evidence used in respect of other land can be treated as a source of evidence as well, so far as it is relevant. 
As noted before, this cannot be used if it were an application for planning permission, but it can help to ascertain a market value of the land. Finally, the Supreme Court discussed certificate applications or decisions relating to other plots of land. The point was made that landowners would like to maximise their returns, and therefore focus on development plans that are the most profitable. The same is true when it comes to certificates of appropriate alternative development, where a landowner would seek a certificate that posits a development that would reflect the highest contribution to the value of their land. As such, if other applications for neighbouring plots of land revealed a pattern, then that could be used as evidence for the market value of the land in question. The information in certificate applications is based on the behaviour of landowners in the real world, and not just a hypothetical one, so can be used. That concluded the discussion, and ultimately the appeal from the Secretary of State was allowed in part, and the decision of the upper tribunal was restored. All in all, that is a rather complicated decision, but it's one that makes sense in the circumstances. Any decision maker should be able to take into account all of the relevant information before them, and it generally doesn't make sense to limit their ability to come to a full decision. Nevertheless, this will be disappointing for landowners, and the judgment will have far-reaching consequences. It will certainly be much harder to get as much money for their land under compulsory compensation schemes. That will be good for the government, who are already around £2 billion over budget for HS2. The compulsory purchases will be a small drop in the pond, though, for a project that has become a poster child for government waste. The final thing that I would say is that this is an area that is ripe for reform. In April of this year, the government launched a consultation and noted that the law currently requires a presumption in favour of planning for appropriate alternative development, when the likelihood may only be on the balance of probabilities. They argue that this artificially inflates the value compared to actual market conditions. If the government gets its way, then this decision of the Supreme Court may only be a prelude of more bad news for landowners who have their land compulsorily purchased. Well, thanks very much for listening, and thanks as ever to bensound.com for the theme music. As I mentioned at the start, you can support the podcast, like Tenny457 did, by leaving a review or alternatively, you can subscribe to my newsletter at uklawweekly.substack.com, where there are options for free and paid versions of the newsletter. I'll be back with another episode next week, but for now, bye!